Do you have thoughts that really get in the way of you're accomplishing things like, I could never do this, or I'm terrible at this, or this will never work. Many of us have thoughts that get in our way. Cognitive behavior therapy is a way of changing the way we think, which can change the way we feel and change the way we behave. And we'll hear more about that today. Welcome back to Shrinking It Down, Mental Health Made Simple. I'm Gene Bereson. And I'm Steve Schlossman. Uh, Gene, how yeah. you doing? Oh, I'm doing fine. So um, how's uh, your uh, Blackwater, what is it? Black, black, not Blackwater. Blackwater are uh, special ops teams that are hired. You know, they're mercenaries. That's I know, what we're I know. About. I'm thinking too much of, of all the stuff in the news. Um, no, you, you play this uh, virtual game. It's not even a game. It was a TV show. It was on Netflix. See, I see how, how dumb I am about this no, stuff. No, I'm just I, talking I down to you, too. Um, no, Bandersnatch. Bandersnatch. Which is the name of the video game that he's, that he's pretending to code for, set in the 80s, on this new episode of Black Mirror. And the reason I'm obsessed oh, with that, it isn't because it's so good, because it's not that good, I don't think, but because it's new. It's a new form of entertainment, and I haven't made up my mind as to whether I like it because I like uh, entertainment to kind of wash over me. I like it to be passive, and you can't be passive in this one. And in fact, what you do has real repercussions, and I find that uncomfortable. But you, but you're interested in in virtual reality. Um, I I wrote a virtual reality script yeah, that, yeah, you that got bought, on one. but um, I don't like the devices. They make me all sick to my stomach and I um, am not sh- I think something's going to have to happen for them to catch on. I want to relax and eat my popcorn. I don't want to have to work that hard uh, when I'm watching something. Do you, do you, do you think that, that like other people like this interactive st- I mean, maybe it's like maybe you don't play video games, right? Well, so so, so no, this, no, exactly. this, would, this would appeal yeah, to, yeah. this would appeal to the, to, the, to the kids and young adults and older adults that, that are into the video well, game What's culture. interesting about it from, from a kind of a psychological perspective, since, since you asked, is um, so, so the choices that people make are, are kind of, I mean, they can't not be Rorschach tests, right? Like, like you have these really powerful choices like kill your father or don't. Like that's literally one of the binary moments of the, that of the show. sounds edible to me. Yeah, yeah good. I'm <laughs> glad you remember that. Um, so <laughs> my daughter, my older daughter and her friends played, and it went for an hour and a half or watched it. Yeah. Um, and then she said, I'm going to have you watch a dad with me, but you make all the choices. And I did. And it only went 40 minutes. And I was like, so why? Why was mine shorter? And she said, because you made every safe choice. Like I didn't kill my father. Um, Apparently she did, which was not, you know, pleasing. We had to talk about that, of course. Um, <laughs> I, no one jumped out a window. That's another choice. So like they become things you can talk about in the office. And I've had patients bring it up in the office. Like, yeah, I totally chopped up that guy. Like you did? And he said, yeah, they gave me the choice to or not to. I wanted so, to. So would you actually play a game like that with, with one of your patients uh, in, in real time? It's too time? long. But oh, if it were shorter. If it yeah. were shorter? Yeah. If there were an abridged version, so that might be something that yeah. might be pretty pretty cool yeah. as, a, as a therapeutic tool. I don't think it's that different from playing a game, any game, it, a board game. No, it's probably not. Yeah, and we do that. So. Yeah. Uh, what's, what's going on with you? Um, well, in the context of what we talked about last time, evolution, New Year's evolution, um, you know what's been on my mind is weddings. My daughter is getting married March 30th. Yeah, you're playing something. 
actually, well, are she playing Blackbird? What, yeah, by the Beatles. I, I, she want she wanted uh, Black. Well, everything's changing by the day, you know, with with these weddings. But but um, I've, I've only had one. So I, I don't know. <laughs> well, this is my this okay. is my fourth. Okay. okay, and and hopefully the last. You mean the fourth of your the kids? Fourth You've of my only kids. personally engaged in one that I right. know of. I've okay. only engaged in okay. one. But uh, yeah, she was she was thinking that um, uh, having that tune Blackbird um, uh, that Paul McCarthy played, McCartney played um, would be great as walking down the aisle. I mean, just just you know. It's a beautiful so tune. I'm I'm kind yeah. of. Um, Thinking about it. But also... It's hard. It's a hard tune. Our good friend David Kay's daughter is getting married in Austin on February 23rd, and the band, Pink Floyd, is, you know, it's like the Blues Brothers, like, the band is back. We're just, be just so playing in Texas. no, uh, Gene is a member, <laughs> not of Pink Floyd, no. but Pink Floyd and the Transitional Objects, right. which is a real band that has played many gigs, at least five, um, and at... <laughs> Large stadium settings like the Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry Ballroom. Yeah. Um, but it is enjoyed by everyone. It's a yeah. good band, actually. Actually, they're a really good band. You can find them on YouTube. You yeah. can look them up. We have good T-shirts. Yeah, <laughs> and you have good T-shirts. Which is the, the mark of a good band. But yeah, no, no. And uh, it, it's, um, we are, it, David's daughter wanted us to play, so we're, we're playing um, uh, for the rehearsal dinner, and then we're playing a, a few tunes uh, at the actual wedding itself. Feeling all right? It's all right to have a good time. Well, yeah. I, I don't think I don't think Maddie would want me to announce what we're actually playing yet. But we're okay. playing the first dance that the bride and groom with the father daughter dance, and then uh, father and daughter are going to sing a couple tunes together. We'll play, um, and she wants to sing one for her husband, oh. and we're going to be playing. We'll play that. So oh. it's it's going to be. This is it's, it's it's so it's so great to. So, music into this. So as much as I want to keep talking about this, we, we actually have a guest to my left and to your right. Um, we should introduce our guest and say what we're going to talk about today. Well, so today we're going to be talking about cognitive behavioral, cognitive behavioral therapy. And it's hard to say, which is why we say CBT often right, instead. Right, right. But it's, it's also, um, it is one, I think, one of the most valuable um, therapeutic methods and I believe what, it's the most evidence-based method of treatment that it, we have it is by the, orders of magnitude. I think it's the actually mo- it is the psychosocial mo- treatment. We'll or, learn more when our guest introduces herself and tells us about this, but it, it has been extensively studied and it also is you able to use it a lot on your own. So So rather than our talking about it, let's introduce Dr. Susan Spritch who is, well, actually, she wears so many hats. We, we know her as the person to whom we've referred many patients, and they've all gotten better. Many. So, so to, to this date, she's like 100%. She's batting 1,000. But rather than try and describe her job, I'm going to ask her to. So, Susan, welcome to the show. Thank you. Tell us what you do. Um, so I am the director of the CBT program at MGH. Um, so it's actually the adult CBT program. Um, is what I do here, although I do work a lot with children and adolescents in my private practice office, and I have done some research on um, child and adolescent patients here at MGH. Um, And then I'm also the director of postgraduate psychology training for the MGH Psychiatry Academy, which is the continuing education division of our department. Um, And I'm also the clinical lead for the internet based CBT um, program, ICBT, which is a program run through uh, Partners Collaborative Care, which is the uh, primary care practices. Is that all? 
I mean, that's not very much. <laughs> there actually are a few more things that no, I do. No, that's incredible. <laughs> that's like three. So there's two directorships and one prime lead. That's huge. Yeah, that's amazing. That's like you and I train together, and and I I have very little to show for it, and you have these three gargantuan titles. That's yeah. so cool. I don't think that's true, but thank you. So so so, um, can you tell? Can you just explain really briefly, like what is CBT? Right. That's a question that comes up a lot. Um, what I always say to people is that it is sort of what it sounds like, that it, it's a form of therapy. It's a form of psychotherapy. Um, and it has to do with looking at people's thoughts, so like what they're saying to themselves um, and their behaviors. And really, you know, looking at um, what symptoms people are dealing with problems that they're bothered by, and looking at how changing either the way that they're thinking about the situation or the way that they're behaving in the situation can help them you know, cope more effectively. So it's a lot about giving people tools or skills to just cope with um, the, the symptoms or problems that they're having in their lives. And, and it's incredibly effective, like, like when it works, it's incredibly effective, right? Yep. Which I guess that's a redundant statement because what doesn't work is by definition not effective. Right. But but I guess the reason I said that is you got to be willing to do it, right? right? Like, so that's that's always to me to been one of the major issues. Like I'll have kids go get CBT and I say, you got to you gotta commit to this. It doesn't kind of wash over you. There are things you have right. to do. Right. I think that's the thing that's really challenging about it is that, um, that it can be very difficult. So, you know, if you're looking at, let's say, changing behaviors, if someone has anxiety and they are fearful of heights and they avoid heights and whatever, you know, when, if you're doing exposure therapy with them, you will be talking with them about facing their fears, basically. And so exposing them, that's why it's exposing called Exposing them, yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and as much as possible, it's not, sometimes it's, you know, creating an anxiety hierarchy. So talking about the anxiety, talking about different, you know, situations that might create different levels of anxiety. But then also often it's doing something in the session that, that actually generates anxiety. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it, CBT can be very active in the sense that, you know, if you're doing exposure therapy, you might actually, or you often try to do something to, to generate anxiety within the session. So like for OCD, as much as you can, you'll try to... OCD, obsessive, obsessive compulsive okay. disorder. Yeah, I know sorry. what it is. I'm just, no, it's okay. <laughs> Keep going. Um, you... Um, you know, you'll try to, to do something in the session to bring on anxiety and and then have coach the person through sort of refraining from doing their rituals. So contamination fear, you have them touch a raw fish but not wash their hands. So, something so, like that. Something like that. <laughs> so, so, I try to keep yeah. raw and, fish and, out of my office. Okay, no, I'm but, just asking. And, and, but and, I've seen that over at the OCD Institute where they actually yeah. have, like, they get raw fish in from yep. Shaw's and they have them touch it and then they have to walk yep. right past the sink and not wash their hands yep. and learn to relax when they walk past it. It's not just that they tolerate it, but learn how to control the feeling, I guess the, the arousal, the sort of state of um, the limbic arousal. Right? Yeah, or just, I mean, I think by, by doing it, in some ways that may be a shift actually in the thinking that now that we try um, not to tell people that they, they really need to control their arousal, it's more you just do it. You know, you do it. Oh, that's interesting. Um, you notice it, you observe that you're feeling anxious, but you do it anyway. Now, when you say you do know? it, that is, a, is some of the hard part that they have to practice doing these things on their own outside of the office. Yeah. So, that's, so, so there's homework. Right, right. We we actually have shifted away from calling it homework yeah, uh, because of the aversive move. connotation. Right, right. Move, yeah, 
Yeah, but they have to practice outside. You call of it the screen sessions. time now. <laughs> no, <laughs> but they have to practice it. So, so what what kinds of problems does does it um, does it help? What what are the range of 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 um, difficulties, challenges? We'll, yeah, the challenges yeah. Will, will CBT help with. I mean, really, almost anything. If you look at sort of what um, which types of problems have evidence to support CBT in treating them. Uh, you know, certainly anxiety, you know, all the different anxiety disorders, depression, uh, those were sort of the earlier studies. But these days, there's CBT for psychosis, CBT for body dysmorphic disorder, CBT for obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, even there are a lot of applications with medical Illnesses, not necessarily that if you do CBT, it's going to cure your underlying, you know, infection or whatever, but in terms of coping with things like chronic pain, coping with, you know, having a medical illness, behavioral changes related to, you know, cardiac illness or... Why does everybody get it then? Like, like why does it everybody... No, no, honestly, like, (laughs) like everybody who goes to see a mental health clinician, why aren't they offered CBT? Like, given, given that the evidence is pretty strong in its favor, very strong, yeah. given that it now has applications really for almost any syndrome for which somebody might, or any challenge somebody might come see them for, why isn't it offered? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. I mean, I think one of the, um, the issues in general in our field is just kind of access to mental health treatment in general and also access to sort of specialized care when you have, you know, a particular issue that that requires it um so that's actually something that i focus on a lot and like in the with the psychiatry academy we do a lot of online training courses to try to sort of get the word out i think historically you know there have been a lot of training programs that haven't necessarily focused on cbt and i think also there's a little bit of i wouldn't say like confusion exactly but you know i think there are a lot of people who who feel like they're doing CBT and maybe sometimes using strategies from CBT but aren't necessarily kind of fundamentally operating from a, a CBT worldview. So, like, for example, I often get patients with, um, with obsessive-compulsive disorder who tell me that they've had lots of treatment before, they've had CBT before, but then when I really dig a little bit deeper, they haven't done exposure therapy in the session. They haven't been given specific... They, they might have been given, like, general instructions, like, oh, you should try to face your fears, or you should, oh, well, try not to do the rituals when you get there just to do them, but not really, you know, very specific, like, okay, this week what you're going to do is you're going to touch the door handle between the garage and the kitchen, and you're not going to wash your hands for at least 30 minutes, you know, so something very specific that they know, like, did I do it or did I not do it? Do those kinds of um, guidelines, like, those make a difference? So, like, if you say don't wash your hands versus don't wash your hands for 30 minutes. Does yep. that, does that 30 minute part matter? Yeah, I think so. Because it gives, because I would think otherwise you don't know when you've done enough. Right. You don't, know you don't how, really so. know if you've succeeded. You can't say, you know, if you say, well, did you, did you do the practice that we decided upon? You know, they, they don't really know. Like, well, kind of, <laughs> I tried to. I got to ask you this. I'm sorry, Gina, I know I'm talking, but, but, What's the grossest thing you've ever had to help somebody? You know, protecting patient confidentiality, <laughs> but like the thing that you did exposure therapy for that was just like a spider. Uh, like, what did you? Grossest. Um, 
or the thing that just got to you? Like, because there's got to be some things that you're helping a patient with that that also maybe. Like, like I, I had a patient who was uh, afraid of spiders, yeah. I remember, and I tried to do exposure therapy, and I, I actually don't, didn't think I minded spiders that much, mm-hmm. and we started pulling up YouTube videos of the biggest spiders we could find, and I didn't like spiders right. at that, and yeah. I was, I was sort, of, sort of surprised. That's not that gross. I didn't bring a spider in the room, but I've heard of therapists doing that. Yeah, oh, well, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Why yeah. didn't you? Because um, I didn't like the spiders because I saw them on the video and I was like, I don't want that thing. It's got hair. Bugs don't have hair. Why don't you hair? stick with dogs? I, I've, I've been very successful, you know, with, with, with using my dogs to, for helping to treat, you know, phobias with. I mean, it's the most common phobia, but it's, and that one mm-hmm. is pretty easy and that's not very gross. Um, yeah, that's pretty fun. Um, yeah, I don't know. I've had some things like that, like we're like looking at YouTube videos or different things that... I'm not particularly snakes. I'm not a big fan of. So if I have to do exposure to snakes, I'm not so, really so. liking that. But we um, with with OCD, sometimes an issue that people have is they don't like sort of sticky feeling mm-hmm. stuff. And um, I remember I have a table, like you know, just a regular table in my office, and um, someone brought in like a bunch of like goopy, sticky, like chocolate sauce and whatever, and almost did like finger painting on my table. Um, and I, it's like the kids who make slime that now. Yeah. yeah, you need so. someone who has like a phobia of puppies, so you can look at puppies all day exactly. long, right? You know, right. and some people do actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so just just one question that always comes up um, in in my practice, and and I think a lot for the Clay Center is, uh, what about you? Didn't mention attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Sure. Um, so, um, what what do you think the role for CBT is with 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 ADHD? Yeah, I think uh, CBT has a big role with ADHD. That's actually um, one of my personal research interests. So I've been um, part of several large treatment studies uh, using CBT for ADHD. I think there's some confusion about that because there was a very large study that was done about, I think, probably 15 or 20 years ago, the MTA study, um, that looked at... What's MTA stand for again? Um, Multimodal multimodal treatment treatment for ADHD, I think. Yes. Yeah. That's right. (laughs) No, I I just had to think out loud. Go ahead. Um, And what they found actually was that um, they looked at psychosocial treatment only, um, medication only, medication plus psychosocial treatment and placebo. And when they compared those different groups, they actually found that the, the medication um, and the medication plus psychotherapy did the best, but that psychotherapy didn't really add much to the, uh, if anything, really to the medication effects. So I think there's this idea out there that um, psychosocial treatment doesn't really help with ADHD, but um, there are a few things that are, you know, kind of unique about that. It, it was definitely with younger children, um, and the the type of CBT that they did is not necessarily the same as what we do now. So the studies that that we've done here at MGH, um, we did two studies with adults with ADHD, and they were people who were on medication. Although we did sort of pilot test our, st- our treatment with a few individuals who were not on medication, and just anecdotally, um, the results were, were good. Um, so, so we found that comparing uh, medication alone with medication plus cognitive behavioral therapy for ADHD, um, the, the group that got the combined treatment did um, significantly better. So when, when I was a resident and you were either a postdoc or a psych intern, I can't remember 
when we when we crossed paths, but yeah. we were taught that contingency enter. management plans for ADHD, sort of, sort of like you know reward chart stickers. Yeah. For like little, is that what you're talking about when you say no? So so our so our treatment we developed in adults. So like people you know stars over, probably wouldn't work. I would like a star over eighteen. Yeah, yeah. Um, I actually like anim, anim, animal stickers. Yeah, 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 yeah my favorite. Yeah. 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 Um, or candy, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, and um, and then we also did a downward extension of this to adolescents, so people, so so kids in high school. Um, but it's really more of a skills training type of approach. Where um, so we do a lot with like helping people set up their own systems, make sure you know they they know all the stuff they need to do, they know where they need to be, having systems for prioritization. Um, kind of setting the stage for not being so distractible. We do a cognitive therapy piece, so both looking at sort of the typical, like, negative thoughts that people might mm-hmm. have. Which, what's an example of that, a negative thought? Um, like, if people have a history of failure, you know, they someone asks them to do something, they might think, ah, uh, you know, I'm probably not going to be able to do it. Like, why, why bother, bother trying? Yep. Yep. Okay. That kind of thing. Yep. Um, and also in ADHD, interestingly, sometimes people get really um, what we call like overly optimistic thinking where they they think, oh, well, you know, I don't really need to start the paper today because I have all weekend. You know, Monday's a holiday. Like, I have so much time. I can definitely write this 20-page paper on probably Monday when I, I don't have school. I think so. I could use this treatment. This might be useful. <laughs> well, 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 so here's the thing. So, so segueing from that, um, uh, you mentioned access, and you mentioned the importance of uh, clinicians really learning good skills so that they can incorporate it you know, or evidence-based yep. skills that, that, are, that are effective, and that's really great. What about, you know, since we have such a problem with workforce in, in, in our field with, with people out there who know skills, are there ways that folks can actually get started online or through books or on their own, or, or does this really require, I mean, does it necessitate seeing a therapist to get the skills that they need? Oh, for um, to learn CBT. Side. I mean, let's say they have, let's say they have a phobia, or let's say they, you know, they're anxious, or let's say they are, um, they're, you know, feeling down, or they have negative yep. thoughts. You know, I'm not, I'm worthless, or I'm, I'll never be able to, I won't be able to do that. C- can they, can they get some help on their own while they're waiting to see, to see somebody in, in the field, or, or, or is this something that, you know, don't do it without adult supervision. Don't do it without a professional. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think there are a lot, I mean, there are a lot of resources out there. Yeah. There are, you know, a lot of self-help books. There are um, some online programs. There are apps now. There's apps for cognitive therapy. Um, you know, are, I, are, I, they, are they worth it? I mean, is it, is it valuable to start that or, or should, yeah. should people really make an effort to see somebody who's trained in this and get started and, and then, and then use that as a stool, as a toolkit? What, what, what do you recommend? And, and keeping in mind, it's easy to say make an effort if you live in a city like Boston. And even here, it's hard to find people, but there's mm-hmm. a lot of folks who yeah. don't have. I'm just, just trying to be very. Happen. I'm just trying to be very practical about this because we hear so often, you know, I can't, I can't get to see a child psychiatrist mm-hmm. or a psychologist. Or I mean, there's just not a not or yeah. a social worker. I mean, there's nobody out there, right. and my kid's struggling or I'm struggling. And, you know, what do I do? You know, I mean, it's, it's gotten to the point where I can't wait six months or, right. or longer. So what do you, what do you recommend yeah. for folks in that situation? I think it can't hurt. I mean, I don't, the only downside, well, I think, you know, with self-help books or, or apps or things like that, you know, I think one thing that they, they lack is the accountability. So, you know, 
maybe it's different if people are really motivated because you know they're they're anxious and they're not functioning or something like that. I think you know what I hear a lot from people is that they've purchased multiple self-help books or they've they have a bunch of different apps on their phone and they they don't use them consistently so I think one thing meeting with a therapist whether it's individual or group or whatever is that they have some accountability they know someone's going to say hey did you you know fill fill out that thought record did you do that you know did you challenge yourself um, that makes sense with your anxiety I mean you know along the same lines you don't have to be a, a kind of CBT expert to do some CBT in your practice. At least I don't think you do. I mean, it's good to know what you're doing, yeah, obviously. Yeah. But, but a lot of us will implement some kind of, say, exposure regimen for somebody who needs it. And then, yeah. you know, in the setting of other kinds of treatment too, especially if you're in a, um, an environment where it's hard to find somebody who can do it. Yeah. And I think one thing that's really important is just not giving sort of um, instructions that run counter to... CBT. Like, for example, with anxiety, I think, you know, it's a common thing that comes up with parents that you see your child, you know, getting anxious and feeling uncomfortable. And it's sort of a normal parental urge to say, oh, honey, you know, you know, I know this party is making you anxious, but let's go home, you know, like, let's, let's relieve that anxiety, um, which, you know, probably feels good in the moment for both the parent and the child, but, you know, might inadvertently be kind of giving the message that, oh, you, you shouldn't stay places if you're feeling anxious or, you know, you need to sort of make decisions based on your anxiety level, which probably isn't what we want to. Hey, did you see eighth grade? Did you see the movie eighth grade? No. Oh, it's so good. It's so hard <laughs> to watch, but it was a Bo Burnham film, but it's, there's a scene where the dad with the best of intentions and, and it turns out right has his daughter go to a party that she really doesn't want to go to. And he later explains, there's going to be lots of things like this. Yeah. You don't have to stay the whole time, but you gotta, you gotta go in there. You said yeah. you'd go in, you're going to mm-hmm. go in. And it's such a painful moment as a parent to watch. Right. So, so what you're saying makes a, yeah. I mean, at least it makes a lot of sense to me, um, I guess as an anxious person. So, which I am. Um, yeah. So, so um, that's really helpful. Thank yeah. you. Thanks for joining us today. And if, if folks out there have questions about uh, CBT, they should write to us. Absolutely. And we'll pass them on to Dr. Spitch, or we'll try and answer them ourselves, or we'll do both, ideally, I guess. And um, Try to address some of the issues. Yeah, that by that time, she'll have six or seven more titles. And we can, <laughs> can Hopefully add, not. Add them, and add plenty of time to write a blog about <laughs> CBT. for. Right. <laughs> right, so before we, before we sign off here... Um, like we just touched on the news. It's not been an unnews filled time. And it's not been great news, actually, uh, uh, with the exception of the Chiefs' victory for me um, over the Indianapolis Colts. Regardless of what one feels about football, boy, that was a fun win uh, for me to watch. But I want to I want to bring up a okay. comment I heard that just struck me as a child psychiatrist is so insensitive, in part because it's so wrong. And that was a representative, I can't remember who it was, um, in the House, I can't remember what party it was, but he was understandably upset over the impasse that's going on with this government shutdown, which is now on day, what, 25, 26, something like that. 20, 27. 27, right. And, and he said, we have to stop behaving like petulant millennials and get this done. And I thought to myself, every millennial I know would have gotten this done. Like, this isn't petulant millennials. These are petulant older people who should be behaving like adults. And he can't even acknowledge that he's not behaving like an adult. So he says, we're behaving like the millennials. And the millennials, meanwhile, are rolling their eyes and saying, we'd have this finished in... in obviously well, he obviously doesn't know what a millennial is right, or what, what, they, what they do. It and, just... and, or he has a, a skewed view of the millennials. Um, 
and and you know, but it just goes to show that you know he should speak for himself. I I, I, don't, I, I didn't hear that. I don't that care comment. if he speaks for himself. I want him to get in the same room with the other side and work out a deal so you know the coast guard gets paid and the government functions and food stamps are handed out and all this stuff that's not happening that ought to happen in a functional civilized society yeah i know well speaking of that i mean and i can't stay away from the news because it's just you know so addictive and horrifying at the same time but um uh you know i i i think i heard a piece uh, in huntsville alabama um as in many places around the country um Folks are really being neighborly. They're helping. It's people helping people. Oh, because there's huge federal contracts in Huntsville. Huge, yeah, yes. yeah. Huntsville has the Jet Propulsion Lab is there. I think, I think yeah. like a quarter of their population, yeah, um, is is under federal contract. And 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 folks are really suffering. And the communities, this is just you know so so great. I mean, the community is actually coming together. People helping people. No shame involved. You know. So this um, is, but this is what drives me crazy about America, which is a country I I love dearly. Um, I've never lived anywhere else, so it's easier for me to say that. But why do we only do that in these crises? Right. Like, why don't we do that all the time? Why can't people be neighborly even when something bad isn't going on? Right. I don't. I don't. Well, we have get to wait that. for mudslides or disasters yeah. or or government shutdowns to to kind of like you know bring out the best. You know, and in the worst times, bring out the best. So what you're saying is really what we what we should be teaching our children. You know, is is like, you know, the golden rule. Treat and, every day like a shutdown. <laughs> Right. <laughs> no, we should be nice to each other. Right. Like things go better. They, um, they always do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks everybody for listening. And again, if you want to hear more from Dr. Spritz, let us know. I'm Gene Barrasso. And I'm Steve Schlossman. Thanks. Thanks.